0: The Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and our focus for Lent this year is called a Healing Lent, Practices for post traumatic growth through a pandemic. And we're going to be talking with guests about how COVID has impacted our lives, our leadership, our families, our faith communities over these last two plus years, and taking an inventory of our losses and our learnings with the hope of coming into a new season marked by resurrection during Eastertide. Our guest today is the Reverend Jordan Center, Rector of Holy Trinity in Costa Mesa, California. Uh, Jordan was born in California, raised in Vancouver, Canada, ministered in Canada, ordained in Canada, before taking the call at Holy Trinity in September of 2019. Uh, While he was in Vancouver, Jordan met his wife Susie, who was born in England and raised in Vancouver. They have two young kids, Annabelle and Jeremy. Jordan, welcome to the C4SO podcast.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me, Ben. It's a joy to be here and converse with you.
1: Yeah, it'll be fun. Anything else uh, you want us to know about you before we dive in?
2: Um, no, I don't. Not at this point. Um, okay.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm sure we're going to discover a lot about yeah. you as we talk uh, today. But we're talking about um, some of these questions that we've been asking leaders um, over, you know, just various leaders in C4SO. Um, about the pandemic and about kind of how it's affected you and about, um, how you're seeking to grow through it. Um, what, uh, what would you say is that was the hardest part of the pandemic for you personally?
2: Yeah, you that's a great, that that's, yeah, that's <laughs> a great question. There's obviously a myriad of things that we've all experienced in this season that has varying levels of overlap and particularity to our individual lives. But, um, I think for me, it was the relational and cultural experience of isolation um, in the state and country I was born in. So the feeling of being a stranger in one's own land to quote mm-hmm. a title of a book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think for me, I had moved. I had lived outside of the States for 11 years before moving back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I moved back six months before the pandemic started. Yeah. And took over as rector of Holy Trinity. So really, my f- my family and I were just starting to get to know people and trying to understand the culture. I and mean, this is the first time my wife ever lived in the U.S. Really? Wow. And then the underbelly of the culture was revealed for all to see. Yeah. And so I think dealing with the kind of sense of being a stranger in one's own land and not understanding what's going on culturally yeah. Um while not having the relational trust with people yet to feel like one knows how to navigate it well as mm-hmm. as a as a shepherd of a of a of a Christian community. Oh, yeah. So, I think yeah. that's those are a few things, yeah.
1: Yeah, that that is I mean that that sort of um exacerbates the problem that every pastor had yeah. which was the, the very vehicles we have to pass to to administer pastoral care, right? The in-person ability to touch, be in the same room, read facial expression, you know, all of that embodied pastoral ministry was taken mm-hmm. away from all of us. But to have that also be expounded by the fact that you're a very new rector uh, that gets thrown in, and th- that's a difficult, you know, situation for anybody, right? To sort of discern, mm-hmm. like, what are who are these people? What are they like? What's all of this, you know, going to be like? Um, but then to have the the pandemic thrown in there, taking away that ability to minister in the ways that we're used to ministering, but also everything that the pandemic revealed, um, sort of being thrown, uh, you know, up there and not having the, yeah, the relational trust needed to navigate those things. Uh, well, that's, that's incredibly difficult.
2: Yeah. And, um, yes, I mean, I knew this was my first time taking over a rector, uh, a position as rector. Okay. I was listening to a podcast, um, uh, I think it might have been the the rise and fall of Mars Hill or something, which everybody's mm-hmm. listened to um, a number of months ago. And and there was somebody who said on that if if you are a senior pastor, um, if you're younger than thirty five years old and you are a senior pastor or planting a church, you are not mature enough to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought it was it was a really bold statement, but yeah, there was yeah. something about that that resonated with me. I was like, yeah. I, mm. I was in my early 30s and I, and taking over as a rector of a church in and of itself was going re, gonna to require a massive amount of personal growth and formation and and development in my own life to do that well but then add yeah. the circumstances and it's just a a little bit need 7 years of growth needs to be compressed into two you know <laughs> so right like, yeah, yeah yeah
1: wow wow jordan um You've hinted on this, um, but I wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to some of those uh, personal aspects, what was the hardest part about leading a church through the pandemic? Maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you've navigated those challenges.
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I think just at a personal level, to when you get um, navigating through a pandemic, anything you do, you're you're caught in the crossfire. Anything you say. Mm-hmm. How do you not let that bend your soul out of shape? Yeah. Um, how do you not let that squelch your joy in your vocational calling?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How do you not let that um, suck all the creative life out of your mind and, and ministry? Yeah. I think was one of the biggest things um, is just how do I cultivate a, jo- a spiritually joyful and a ministerially creative space yeah. in the midst of feeling like you're taking blows from a bunch of different sides, you know, because that's so important for the life of the church. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing is, like, how do you form, how do you foster communal virtues that are key to the flourishing of a church? So, like, mutual sympathy, pa- yeah. <laughs> patience, courage, love, hope. How do you foster those things um, in a context where, where the formational narratives for people are more Fox News and CNN? Mm-hmm. um, than, than the gospel in a lot of ways. And, yeah. um, and just how to do that, I think was, uh, was one of the biggest challenges I was, I was kind of facing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, how have you sought, are there specific things that you found to be helpful in the mm-hmm. midst of that? Like, how have you sought to do those things for yourself?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, a, a big, a crucial moment was the summer mm. um somebody said to me you need to take about a month off <laughs> mm. uh, another clergy member of the church who had a lot more experience and yeah so i wasn't able to take a month as it'll take three weeks and i just said lord what what do i need to mm. receive from you um for you to restore the joy of my salvation mm. as well as for me to be able to come back after this holiday to the people of Holy Trinity and be a faithful and redemptive presence in this place. Yeah. And I just sense the Lord saying psalms and canoes. So like learn to pray. Learn as, as he says to all of us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So so <laughs> learn learn to pray the Psalms. Um, okay, like the Psalms yeah. need to be your special companion in this time. Mm. Because they're gonna they're gonna take. They're gonna teach you how to pray the full range of human emotion,
1: okay. in
2: the full breadth of human experience. Wow! And yeah. and and you've accumulated a lot of emotional and spiritual baggage, and you need to learn to pray through that, um, mm. uh, in order to receive in that and name those things. Yeah. So that was the first thing: is just like sit with the Psalms. And the second was, you just need to play a little bit more. So. I love being on water. I love kayaking and canoeing. So just every day you possibly can, I lucky enough to live near water and have good weather. Mm -hmm. And so just get on the water and, Mm. and just look at the birds. Yeah. See the different shades of blue. I mean, uh, and, and just enjoy that. Um, so those are, those are a couple of things. And, and more recently, (laughs) excuse me, it's, um, hospitality, Mm -hmm. um, um what does it mean to love our enemies? Hmm. What does it mean to bless those who have cursed you Yeah um I mean to extend the table to them yeah. um and and so I I've, I've been invited more and more into like who who are those people where you felt like there was hurt or there was relational rupture or you felt morally mm-hmm. injured by mm-hmm. um could part of the road to healing being, learning to actually stand the table to them hmm. and and um and see that as a gracious the um, yeah. gracious thing too and yeah.
1: what has that uh, what does that look like for you if you don't mind sharing that's a little bit of a
2: vulnerable question yeah um what it's just started to look like and and honestly emotionally i've only really been at a place the last couple months i think of yeah. uh to To start, kind of doing that with particular things, but um, yeah. Um, for me, it's really just started writing down a list of who are the people that that left the church mm-hmm. over the last two years, mm-hmm. um, because they disagreed with me over decisions I made. Or who are the people that I felt betrayed by or like could not see eye to eye with?
1: Yeah.
2: Or who are the people that um, are still around but feel like they really stretch me, you know? Yeah. Um, It's not a natural and easy connection in a lot of ways. Yeah. And um, can I just invite them to coffee or to dinner? I see. Uh, just one of the two, you know, coffee one-on-one if that's more appropriate, or dinner with my family if that's, mm-hmm. if they're open to that, and um, and just practice the art of listening. Like I don't know, how has the yeah. season been for you? Yeah. And and anywhere where I can empathize or sympathize or resonate with their experience, mm-hmm. naming where we have overlap together.
1: Hey, everybody. It is time once again for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. This week, we are praying for Holy Trinity Silicon Valley in Mountain View, California, led by the Reverend John Gorin. And he has joined us to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray for them. John, welcome back to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight.
0: Thanks, Ben. It's a great privilege for us to be able to share what's going on with the community. So, thank you again. Yeah. What's uh, something that you're encouraged by right now that's
1: happening at Holy Trinity?
0: We've been encouraged by the community really pressing into Lent this year. Uh, For some reason, it just seems to be gripping people's uh, devotional thought life, and Mm. it's in our small groups. The small groups are actually using... Uh, the late Father Thomas Mackenzie's book "Lent with the Desert Fathers," uh, mm. which has been a real blessing. It's mm. made Lent accessible to the wisdom of the soul of these fathers and mothers of the mm. desert, and I, it's been the foundation for some really good discussion and prayer time going on in our groups. So that's yeah. been great. And then we it's last great. Saturday we had a um, day long retreat at a local Catholic retreat center, okay. which was wonderful. It was time alone. Yeah. Half the time was people on their own with the Spirit, just hearing, listening, praying, reflecting. And people, the reactions afterwards were just like, this was so needed and so oh, valuable. Well, so, we're, we're thankful true. for that.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. What's, uh, what's a challenge that y'all are facing right now that you want to share with us?
0: Yeah, we have here locally, we've declared that we're moving from pandemic to endemic. And I think (laughs) we're seeing that reflected in more visitors joining us, which has been great. Uh, But that has meant that we need to build out our teams uh, oh, yeah. a little bit more to support those next steps in our Sunday worship gatherings and okay. in our heart for local outreach. So, that mm. that is a real prayer request. Uh, we've been pretty mm. invitational. We continue to be. We've just posted a position for a curate or pastoral associate. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'd love to have somebody come join us for at least a couple years to help take this church plant into the next phase of fruitful ministry. So, if anybody's great. interested, they can check that out on the website. But that's those are active needs and uh, that we're praying for. So I would love yeah. to have people join us in that.
1: That's great. That sounds like good problems to have. Oh, uh, they yeah, they right? are good to challenges the, to have. The best uh, kind to have is the growing pains uh, of a yeah of a community that's growing. So I'm really glad to hear that um, that you guys are growing. Uh, kind of on the tail end of well, who, who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic, but. Um, There does seem to be a shift in the way that uh, we're responding to it, and the and the way that uh, we're able to do uh, ministry. And so I'm glad for that, um, for y'all, for y'all's sake.
0: Yeah, thank you. I mean, we remain prayerful and keeping Mm. the sanctuary reasonably open, (laughs) open windows, and yeah, ventilated. Mm. But I agree. Yeah, all that stuff helps helps keep things safe. So that's Mm. good. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today, John. You're welcome, Ben. Again, thank you for the opportunity to share what's going on with Holy Trinity Silicon Valley. Blessings to you. Love the podcast and uh, all the best.
1: Uh, Thanks so much. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, Listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley or to contribute to their work or apply for that job, check out the link in the show notes. your experience is the experience of a lot of pastors, um, during, during this season. And, and yeah, I just think it's been just extremely difficult, uh, for so many. And so I think hearing from you, how you're navigating that and how, how long it's taken, you know, to get to a place where you can, which I think, I think that's wise as well, not to beat ourselves up when things are too hard or painful like to it. take the time we need, you know, to use the Psalms, like, you know, to, to rage at God a little bit about all of mm-hmm. this. You know, I, I, I found that to be such a gift in this season as well. Sort of learning, I, I never felt like I could connect with the Psalms of Lament and the Psalm, mm-hmm. like the angry Psalms, right? That um, they seemed sort of unChristian to me uh, in some ways. But I think my, I think the pandemic and seeing, you know, not just the pandemic, but just the, you know, the the disruption, the disunity, the injustice that it's all sort of fostered has helped me connect with these songs oh this is (laughs) what this is why these are here we need to say these kinds of things to god sometimes uh to say what are you like what are you doing what's going on right now and i you know like i'm i'm having a hard time and i need deliverance so
2: i i totally resonate with that i think uh, you know i've read the psalms my whole life Mm -hmm. i've preached them in different seasons i've i've taught about lament yeah i don't think i personally understood yeah um how important it is to uh, a healthy relationship with god yeah but also a healthy relationship with others yes um i I just think this has been a season of really discovering that on the ground um in some deep ways yeah uh
1: yeah i think that's true the other thing i you know um the other thing i've discovered that's been helpful for me about the Psalms is it doesn't just connect with my personal experience. I think my personal experience has come close, closer to the the experience of the Psalms. And that's, that's been helpful for me, but I think it's also helped me sort of pray in solidarity with those who really do have it worse off than me. Mm -hmm. You know um, those who are experiencing, you know, the politicization of the pandemic and everything else in, in ways that are just, brutally oppressive, you know, marginalized people, I've been able to pray, I think, with some sense of solidarity with Mm -hmm. those folks. You know, even even if I don't personally feel a certain way, I can pray these Psalms uh, knowing that, you know, I mean, even thinking about what's happening in Ukraine right now, you know, just Mm -hmm. the awful suffering that's going on there. A way of praying with them and for them is to pray the Psalms sort of on their behalf almost. Um, totally. I mean, so. Wal-
2: Walter Brueggemann talks about this in his yeah. book, The Message of the Psalms, which I found him mm. very helpful in that regard, that, yeah, the communal, um, uh, the plural personal pronouns or the way in which yeah. in- individual laments often have a turn towards communal
1: yeah,
2: um, uh, or framed within the context of a communal um, promises and, yeah. um, and suffering and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, or just a sense of disorientation, um, mm. I think is, is incredibly helpful. And I think for me as well it, is the Psalms have really asked, I think challenged me to ask the question, what am I hiding? What mm. am I ignoring? What am I denying? What am I burying?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, what am I not naming that's actually going on in the world? <laughs> mm. <laughs> that that um, we need to have the courage to name, yeah, as yeah. as people, but also as pastors. Yeah, that's really good. That's yeah. really good, Jordan.
1: Um, you've hinted at this a little bit, but I wonder if you could talk about how the politicization, you know, and I mentioned it before, but the politicization of the pandemic um, mm-hmm. has been one of the. I mean, I you know, I guess. You know the events of the last few years shouldn't have it shouldn't have surprised me, (laughs) but it did. Mm -hmm. Uh, It did surprise me that this event that you would think would sort of galvanize us to be like, oh wow, everybody's affected by this. um, It actually, uh, you know, people found a way to create. I mean, people found a way to make it into a wedge issue. You know what I mean? It's it's really uh, bizarre to Mm -hmm. me. But um, but I know this has been the source of a lot of pain uh, for pastors and for. Mm -hmm. You know, just everybody in, mm-hmm. in the midst of this pandemic. How has how has that uh, affected you?
2: Yeah, um, well, I'll speak at two levels: at a um, pe- at a kind of personally family, and then an ecclesial level. Um, okay. Yeah, for my family, it was the first time in my life I experienced where uh, making decisions about how we are going to respond to COVID cost my family relationally. Interesting. Um, so we were new to the church, but the, the four families that my wife was able, was getting to know the best mm-hmm. um, with young kids, three of the four left in one month because of a decision I made about how to respond to COVID. Oh, wow. And so I think that was the first time just personally ministerially where I was like, oh man, like my vocational responsibilities are costing, not just me, it's one thing for me to make a decision, get caught in the crossfire. that's fine. Yeah. It's part of the job, it's costing my family. Oh, and man. and so I think that was something that I hadn't had to come to grips with yet in my life and wow. oh this is a part of this vocation that I haven't have I haven't really had to face yet um, yeah. wow ho- holy orders is affecting my family in unholy ways <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, yes. and and how do I how do I work through that you know and how do I shepherd mm. how do I shepherd my family through it? so I think right. that was at a personal level and then at an ecclesial level really the theme of the unity I mean, um, unity is a theme yeah. that, it, that matters a lot to me. I think it's mattered mm. to the church Catholic and throughout the ages and around the world. I think mm. it should matter to Anglicans even though it's really messy about how we live that out. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and I was preaching through the book of Ephesians um, during ordinary time last year. Um, and it, it shot through from beginning to end as a theme of unity.
1: Yeah.
2: Unity is the eschatological goal of creation. It's, mm-hmm. it's the full, in the fullness of time that all things in heaven and on earth will be united in Christ. Yes. Um, chapter 2, that Jews and Gentiles are united in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, go to uh, chapter 4, that the church, all the diversity of the gifts are united in Christ and speaking the truth and love and building each other up. Chapter 5, that... That all these household relationships are united in Christ, and you know all these things, and mm-hmm. and so I just I think for me that was the thing that I lamented the most is that the politicization of the pandemic means that any any decision we make about how to respond to the pandemic has the potential of throwing a dividing line straight down the middle of the body of Christ.
1: Yeah,
2: and um, there's already enough trying to pull us apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Internally and externally. And so yeah. and so I think just navigating like how, man, how can we navigate this guys in such a way that
1: yeah.
2: is truthful and courageous and mm-hmm. for the sake of others and not skirting those things, but also where we try to live out the fact that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, what Godfather, yeah. all that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Man, those those issues have been so uh tricky to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, because you do need to make a call, right? Oh, totally. There's, you know, there's. Mm. I've seen a lot of people do things in the name of unity, yes. But in fact, seem actually what they're, you know, what the history history shows what they're actually doing is just seeking to kind of keep a group of people together. Totally. uh, But at the expense of telling the truth, at the expense of justice, at the expense of you know, the weightier matters of the law, so to speak, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's been such a difficult uh, issue for for pastors to be able to navigate because a lot of times telling the truth does result in people leaving the church yeah. or making a decision to, you know, follow certain guidelines or, you know, regarding masks and all kinds of other stuff. It it causes people to leave and then they accuse you, the person making the decision, the person responsible of fostering disunity because of you know making this
2: decision right so that that brings up a great uh yeah this is something i had to learn Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. middle in the Mm -hmm. middle of it i i realized that i was viewing unity as i was trying to hold people together yeah but there wasn't real unity it was it was saying peace peace when there is no peace that's good Yep. And and um, I'm not going to name names here because I don't want to put them in the spot, but there's a, a prominent C4SO clergy and leader um, who everybody would know um, who said to me after I preached a sermon um, after January 6th, um, mm-hmm. and he says, you talked about speaking the truth in love, but you did not tell us the truth that needed to be spoken. Ooh. And it, it cut to my heart and I said, he's totally right. Wow. He's totally right. And that was a turning point for me. Hmm. Um, I I'd misunderstood the nature of unity in the base wow. of it. And, wow. and so the next Sunday I had to get up and I said to the congregation, I said this in the wake of January 6th last week, and everything I said is technically true, but there are things I didn't say. And that matters, and so I'm going to say it now. Ooh, yeah. And so I said it, and let's just say the next couple of months, a lot of people left the church. <laughs> oh, yeah. But but yeah. it but yeah. that was a turning point for me because yeah. I think I needed to be called to courage to speak the truth. Yes. And to realize that where the truth is is not being really spoken in courage, there's there's never going to be a deep peace. No. Nope. There's there's never going to be a true unity. And and Mm -hmm. unless we're building on that, then, then at some point, something's going to come that's just going to revolve, that's just going to show the fault lines that are really there. That's right. So, so for me, there's a journey in that, Ben, in this process of actually having to learn the true nature of that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, man, Mm -hmm. I so, I so appreciate you sharing that, Mm -hmm. Jordan. I think, you know, I so value leaders who are willing to learn, repent on the job, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I appreciate hearing that, Mm -hmm. um. That and I think it's really key what you said. You like you naming those truths did not create fault lines; it revealed them. Yes, those fault lines were there. Totally. The unity we thought we had wasn't a true gospel unity. Yeah, it was something that we had sort of you know we'd papered over these things For sure. uh, in an attempt to kind of yeah. Because it it feels deeply threatening, right, for people to leave the church, especially for pastors. Our livelihood is connected to this, um, you know, as well as just how hurtful it is to lose relationships and other kinds of things. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Mm -hmm. Jordan. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: We'll wrap up here with uh, two questions mm-hmm. that uh, we're asking everyone on the C4SO podcast. These are surprise <laughs> questions. I didn't tell you about these in advance. That's uh, part of the nature good. of it, okay? it. Sounds good, yeah. Um, one, what is a book, movie, or TV show that you've appreciated recently?
2: Ooh. Um, do I have to choose one? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You can say a couple of them. Go um, ahead. Uh, I'll say, uh, too, so uh, a book um, that I've appreciated recently, um, uh, The Sun Does Shine, Okay. how I found life and freedom on death row. Oh, wow. Um, uh, by Is it a man, written
1: by somebody on, on death row?
2: Yes. Um, wow. It was a man who, in 1985, was wrongfully convicted in Alabama. An African-American man who was wrongfully convicted of three murders he did not commit and proceeded to spend 30 years on death row until um, by um, Brian Stevenson, who you'll know because of Just Mercy and things like that. Him and his team, um, Equal Justice Initiative, after 15 years of battling in courts, got him released through trial. And and he came out and then wrote a book about his experience of it. It's a really hard book to read. Yeah, um, But it will take you to some very profound things, um, mm. not only about the brokenness of the justice system <laughs> um, in the U.S. and, and yeah. help and make you think about that, um, but also he, he's a Christian and wrestles with his faith and the absolute wow. devastation and obliteration of it in this experience Ugh. and then kind of the rebirth of it Amazing in death row. And, um, that was very profound for me. Um, so okay. that, that was, that was a great book. I'll just leave it at that. One. Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Um, mm. how can we, the other question is this, how can we pray for you?
2: Oh yeah. That, thank you for asking that. I, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, this is a season of, um, well, I think given what we've all, all that we've talked about, I think, um, just continued, um, I think continued healing. I think for a lot of people, there's just still everybody I talk to and I see it myself, still a lot of spiritual and emotional baggage and, and moral injuries all over the place that, that, um, are, are, we still where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, but, Mm. but we just need to like, there's just a constant need to receive grace and and mercy in these places. And so, um, uh, yeah, so I think just praying the Lord would pour it out. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> and good. and that He would good. he would heal and He would do that yes. in His way and His timing and how how he knows I need it. And then mm. the, the other is um, I'm really excited about things that are happening in the church right now. I, I just mm. think there's it's a new season in some ways and we're still dealing with some of the baggage past, but there's new things happening. Um, we've started missional communities in in local geographical regions, which has never happened in our church. And wow, that's great. Um, there's just things bubbling to the surface that I'm really excited about, and um, I just feel the need for wisdom mm-hmm. to know how to fan into flame what God is doing, yeah. and um and courage to lead boldly um, yes. in, in the in the midst of it. So uh, I think for those things would be great.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Well. I appreciate you sharing all of this with us, uh, Jordan. Some of your real-time learning, uh, your vulnerability uh, is a gift. Uh, It was a gift to me in this conversation, and I trust it'll be a gift for our listeners as well. Thanks for being on the podcast today.
2: Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Ben. A joy to speak with you today.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the C4SO Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at C4SO.org.